Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Fluently Forward. Today, we are going to be covering the TV show Desperate Housewives. And I'm so excited. People have been asking for this one for like, I don't know, probably a year now. I was excited to do it. I thought maybe our audience is like too young and they haven't seen Desperate Housewives because it started, I mean, it aired from 2004 to 2012. But a lot of people have seen it and it is a great show to do for this episode because it is juicy. Like the girls on set were fighting. There was like a wide variety of feuds, heavy drama, stuff that has continued, individual drama. Like it's just going to be fun. It's going to be a mess. And I kind of love when life imitates art. And a lot of these feuds that you see in the show also happened in real life, which I just find it so nice because it's like a shortcut to gossip, you know, like it's, it's easy to recall these things. So I have only really seen like the first two seasons and then I jumped back in and I've been watching season seven because it features the fabulous Vanessa Williams. If you are a member over on patreon.com slash fluently forward, we did a ugly Betty episode a couple weeks ago on there and Vanessa Williams as Wilhelmina Slater. She's one of the best all time characters. And somebody was asking over on an Instagram Q and a that I did. They were like, man, I miss those old shows like gossip girl, the OC back in the day. And I was like, yeah, it's because we need a good villainous, cunty to be honest bitch and we're missing that like remember when they did the reboot of gossip girl i know everyone was like socially conscious and morally just it was so boring it was just like you really need a true villain and not a villain who's like you know i'm gonna be i don't know i don't know how to describe it because obviously i don't want to see like stalin on tv but you just want someone with a little bit of edge. And let me tell you, there was some edge in Desperate Housewives. I also find two things very fun about the show. This show relates a lot to Ugly Betty to me, not just with the Vanessa Williams parallel or the year, you know, that early 2000s era that it was done in. But number one, the show makes me want to dress better. And I've also been rewatching Ugly Betty since doing that episode on Patreon. And the fashion in the show... I'm not much of a fashion girl. You guys know me, right? I Hey, I shop at Newly. Okay, those clothing rental services is the closest I get to like couture fashion, basically. But there was something so sweet about um, Justin, Betty's nephew in the show, where he'll hold up a jacket and be like, oh my God, it's vintage Armani. Look at the sleeves. Look at that. I've never really expressed like a thankfulness or like a gratitude for my clothes or that's almost why I like watching, and I promise I'll get into this soon, uh, tangent will be over soon, but that's almost why I like watching ASMR videos too, because I find it very soothing and beautiful to have somebody pick up, like right now I'm picking up my, I'm not even trying to plug, but I'm picking up my Olive and June nail polish because I just put some on, and they'll hold a nail polish bottle on ASMR channels, and they'll be like, oh, and look at the clean lines and the structure of this, and I love the font. They'll trace the font with their fingers, and then they'll say, and this color, you're a cutie, and look at the shade of it and how it sounds when I tap on the you know, handle of it. And I just feel like nowadays we move so quick and so fast. What can this do for me? Is this too expensive? I'm going to need another one of this. I need five. Let me go get it at Costco. Something about like appreciating the things around you. And you see that in the fashion of Ugly Betty and also in Desperate Housewives. And all of the four main ladies, Brie, Susan, Lynette, 
and Gabriella have kind of their own fashion, but they're always very put together. Well, maybe not Lynette <laughs> and maybe not Susan all the time, but Gabby and Brie in the show are very put together. And they're also always doing things around the house. Like one of the girls will go talk to Brie and she'll be in a sweater set, you know, gardening and planting flowers. And it just kind of makes me want to pick myself up and be beautiful like that too. So I like watching the show for that reason. And then the second similarity it has to Ugly Betty and Riverdale is it is a show that jumps the shark. People are getting murdered and killed. And maybe there's magic. And maybe there's a switching of children at the hospital. And all of these crazy plot lines that, like, you know, Gossip Girl would take it there, but it wouldn't always take it there, there. And I kind of find it fun when those shows go a little bit telenovela on us. So without further ado, because I just gave you a lot of ado, let's get into the background of the show and then into the nitty-gritty dirtbag gossip. So Desperate Housewives, it's a comedy, drama, mystery TV series. It was created by this guy named Mark Cherry, and he has a little bit of drama surrounding him too. He kind of seemed like a messy bitch, if we're being honest. We're going to talk about him later. But it aired for eight seasons. It was wildly popular. And like I said, it ran from 2004 to 2012. There's 180 episodes. There's a lot in there. And basically, if you haven't watched it in a while or ever, it's set on this like fictional lane called Wisteria Lane. And even just saying it like brings back so many memories of the show to me. The town is fictional. It's called Fairview. The state is fictional. It's called like Eagle State. And it follows these women, these desperate housewives, through the eyes of this like narrator, one of their friends that previously um, died, she took her life by suicide in the pilot episode. And she's kind of a la to the Kristen Bell voice of Gossip Girl. She kind of follows these girls throughout the show. So we have Terry Hatcher as Susan. She was kind of billed in the first season as like the protagonist of the series. I personally think that Brie Vandekamp, who is played by Marsha Cross, is the true protagonist of the series, but we'll get into that when we talk more about the drama between the ladies. Felicity Huffman as Lynette, Eva Longoria as Gabrielle, and then you have uh, Nicolette Sheridan as Edie. Like I said, we had Vanessa Williams come on as Renee Perry. There's like a bunch of different guest people, but those four slash five women were basically the main. Like I said, the show did really, really well. It won multiple Emmy, Golden Globes, and Screen Actor Guild Awards. In 2007, it was actually reported to be the most popular show in its entire demographic worldwide, and it had an audience of 120 million. So the idea of the show came to be, like I said, it was conceived by this guy named Mark Cherry, and him and his mother were watching a news report on Andrea Yates. And this is kind of like a little bit of a true crime story. So this was a woman, a woman, am I good? I'm doing it backwards now. She was in Houston, Texas, and this happened back in 2001. So what, like three years before the show started? She was from Texas, and she confessed to drowning her five children in their bathtub. Um, and she ended up being found guilty of that. But then I think she like pled insanity. I dug just a little bit into the case, and it's actually devastatingly sad. And I take her side. I know that sounds crazy. I just said that she drowned her five children in the bathtub. Her husband was really fucked up. So this is kind of the TLDR of the case, um, fluently forward going a little true crime here. So basically, she met her husband, Russell Rusty Yates. She worked as this registered uh, nurse at the University of Texas uh, Anderson Cancer Center. They met each other. He was an engineer. They moved in together. They got married. Beautiful, beautiful. They were both evangelical Christians, and they said that they wanted to, quote, 
seek to have as many babies as nature allowed. So immediately they started having kids. They had their first child, Noah. Then Rusty, the husband, got a new job in Florida. They had to move across the country. They relocated to this small trailer. They have another kid. Then they have a third kid. They move back to Texas. They have the fourth kid. It's starting to sound like Lynette from Desperate Housewives. And when she has her fourth kid, she starts to have depression resurface. And it's like really, really bad depression. One day her husband walks in, finds her shaking and chewing her fingers. The next day she attempted suicide by overdosing on pills. She was begging to be hospitalized. She ended up being prescribed antidepressants. Basically, they release her once again. She's completely like trying to take her life by suicide. She goes back to the hospital and they basically say, look, she cannot have any more children. What she's suffering from is like really, really intense postpartum psychosis. He takes her out of the hospital and then immediately gets her pregnant again. So she has a fifth kid. And at this point, she's just like completely unwell. She stopped taking her medication. She would mutilate herself. She would read the Bible, allegedly, very feverishly. She stopped feeding her children. She became so unwell that she required immediate hospitalization. And the husband would always come and be like, it's not a big deal. Take her out of the hospital, things like that. So in what I'm assuming was a moment of psychosis, this is pretty dark. If anybody wants to skip forward, there's going to be some timestamps in the show notes. But there was one day her husband left to go to work and she laid all of the kids in the bed and one by one she drowned them in the bathtub, which I know is insane. But also like when you really read the story um, and granted, you know, I only kind of did like a Wikipedia and then some research. There were so many signs that this woman needed help and assistance. And the last thing she needed was to be having another child and then another child after that despite you know like going against doctor's orders god it just sounds like the husband was like a creep anyway but the showrunner mark cherry was watching that with his mom and he just picked up on the feeling of desperation and what you do when you're a really desperate woman and you feel like you have no other way out and i feel like um When I was a kid and I heard the title Desperate Housewives, I was like, oh my God, they're desperate for attention. They're desperate for a boyfriend or something. But if you watch the show, they're really put in a lot of positions where they're desperate, like desperate with the law, desperate with finances. I'm in the season right now where, spoiler alert, but Susan kind of gets into doing porn because she's having money trouble. So they put these women in a lot of desperate positions. And I guess hearing about that crime case when it happened made him think, oh, I could make a show out of this. So, I mean, he already had some experience under his belt. Before Desperate Housewives, he produced and he wrote episodes of The Golden Girls and The Golden Palace, which is another show with just like, what a phenomenal name, The Golden Girls. And Desperate Housewives, oh, I just think it's such a good name for the show. It fits it so well, but it actually wasn't the first choice. They originally wanted to call the show Wisteria Lane, which also kind of... I don't know, like it's nice, I think, of the show when I think of Wisteria Lane, but it's not as catchy. And then the second option they had was The Secret Lives of Housewives. And I don't know, I just feel like that that would be a good title for maybe like a YA novel, but Desperate Housewives, like, ooh, that was just so sexy. I think it was the perfect name for the show. So obviously, Wisteria Lane itself is very iconic and it conjures up an image. It's such a beautiful show to watch because it's almost like... (laughs) It's almost like watching The Sims IRL. Like the houses are so nice. The flowers are always beautiful. It's just this gorgeous suburban 
neighborhood. And uh, it was actually filmed on this set in the Universal Studios Hollywood back lot. It was referred to by different film crews as Colonial Street, and it had been used for a bunch of different movies and TV shows since the mid-1940s. Something else cool, like I mentioned, this show became so popular, and there were actually some games that came out of this show. So this is really cool. There was this company called Buena Vista Games, and they had this life simulation computer video game. It was just called, you know, Desperate Housewives, The Game. And it featured this original storyline. It spanned over 12 episodes, and the game is set on Wisteria Lane, and you get to play like you live on Wisteria Lane. You can't be any of the main characters, but the main characters like frequently appear as you play and you can kind of interact with them. And then a few months later, they made a mobile game based off of the series. And I just think that is so fun. And I remember as a millennial being around when this came out, like, God, they even did it with books. My favorite was an on Steam. I, I literally still have it because I just love playing games for nostalgia purposes. And um, I was obsessed with the Nancy Drew series as a kid. And they made Nancy Drew computer games. And honestly, they were a little bit freaky. Like I play them now sometimes as a 30 year old. It's always mysteries. Like you're in a mansion or you're in like a horse stable and you have to find you like you were sent there for a week to find out what's going on. So you have to use clues and like, dude, computer games are just so fun anyway. And I love those Nancy Drew video games or computer games, whatever. And I just think, wouldn't that be especially because maybe this is just the floozies out here. I know that we all like to game. (laughs) By that, I mean like play The Sims and Baldur's Gate 3 and like hop on Neopets from time to time. But don't you think that every show should make some sort of game? Like I'm thinking the Netflix series You, that could be a really good game because it's got like that thriller element to it. Or even like the movie Saltburn, try to escape Saltburn, try to seduce who you can at the mansion, try to do this, like... Even if it's just a mobile game, like we saw how well the Kim Kardashian game did, although I think it's actually being shut down now, I think people would go nuts for that. Like, why aren't they doing it? Enough of the eyeshadow palettes give us computer games based off of Gossip Girl, Pretty Little Liars. Like, that would be such a good one. Anyway, they also did more than just games. They had dolls and perfumes. And, um, you know, the dolls, you can understand. It was like a Barbie doll that they made out of these housewives. I want to read off to you the scents of each perfume that was composed for each lead character because I just thought it was interesting and then it got me thinking like, I don't know, if I had to come up with a fragrance for a celebrity or for myself or for like, I don't know, like Kelly from Beyond the Blinds, what would it smell like? All right, so Susan's fragrance. It was orange blossom, cedar, sandalwood, and white musk. I feel like Susan should have more of like a Bath and Body Works type of fragrance. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if White Musk is like Susan. Okay. Lynette was cardamom, star jasmine, and musk. Once again, I feel like Lynette's would be like a little bit. I feel like Lynette might be like the sweet pea Bath and Body Works. Okay. Breeze fragrance, green apple, white jasmine, raspberry, lily, amber, and vanilla. That one's perfect. I think that's a perfect one for Brie. And then Gabrielle's fragrance was raspberry, pineapple, rose, patchouli, and blackberries. I feel like that that one's on point too. All right, real quick, just a few fun facts about the show. We only have a few before we get into the gossip. There weren't that many fun facts about this show. Um, James Denton, who plays Mike, he said that he had a lot in common with the character he played because he's also a handyman. He likes to do stuff around the house himself, whatever. 
Mark Cherry said that his mother was the blueprint for Brie Vandekamp, which I think is like interesting. I don't know. I just get like weird vibes about this guy. Like he made a show about his mom. Anyway, whatever. Oprah Winfrey, who one day we're going to have to do an episode on her because aren't there? Isn't it just so funny how there's so many sketchy things about Oprah? Like it's Oprah. Goddamn. But she was a huge fan of the series. She loved the show. She even came to the set for a visit and then she filmed this like 15 minute segment for her show where she played a new neighbor on Wisteria Lane. In one of the first episodes, it might even be the first episode. Remember when Gabby was asked to, or no, she was supposed to have the lawn mowed when she was sleeping with a gardener. So she's like at a party and she leaves the party to like mow the lawn herself. Well, that dress she was wearing, she ended up giving it to this high school senior to wear to her prom because somebody wrote in after the episode aired and they were like, I love that dress so much. Where can I find a knockoff? And they just gave it to the high schooler, which is also crazy that Eva Longoria was like literally high schooler size. She's tiny. All right. Another fun fact. They say that Terry Hatcher, who played Susan, was a true sweetheart. Was she? We'll talk about that more shortly. But she brought baked goods to her audition, which is kind of funny because I feel like that is very Susan, you know. And like I said, the last one before the show is just so mystery thriller, jump the shark-esque. It is estimated that throughout the entire time Desperate Housewives was a show, 52 characters (laughs) died throughout the show. Not like real people, just like on the show, 52 of them died. That's how often they were like killing people off for like fun and dramatic effect. Today's episode is brought to you by Factor. If you are looking to get started on your resolutions this year, you can do so with Factor. They've got these ready-to-eat meals that I absolutely love. And you know what? A ton of my friends in Denver, before I told them about how I was using Factor, I looked into their fridge and they were using Factor. Some of it are guys who are like into working out. They like the keto options. Myself and my girlfriends, I like using Factor because when I get hungry, it comes on quick and it comes on strong. And even if I have food at home, I don't want to spend like a bunch of time cooking rice and putting together a meal. These Factor meals are ready in two minutes, which is fantastic. And it's also a great way to skip all of that overpriced takeout because the last time I went on, I had to pay an extra $12 just in random service fees, which is bonkers to me. So if you want, go on over and head to factormeals.com slash fluently50 and you can use the code fluently50 to get 50% off. That is code fluently50 at factormeals.com slash fluently50 to get 50% off. All right, the gossip. Let's cover some of the main gossip before we get into like individual one-on-one. The main gossip is that everyone hated Terry Hatcher, aka Susan. The three other ladies and Terry Hatcher did not get along 100%. This isn't even me hating women, which we all know I do. (laughs) This is just like a full-ass basic fact. Like so much so that it appears sometimes the suspicions in Wikipedia. We got someone confirming it on TikTok Live, which I'm going to talk about it. It's all over the blind items. Individuals themselves have basically confirmed this. Terry did not get along with all of the other girls. But our first blind item that includes this entourage is the showrunner of the now defunct network dramedy, which would be Mark Cherry, obviously hates a certain cast member from that long running show. Hey, it happens when you get sued. And that is about Nicolette Sheridan, who played Edie, suing him. We're going to talk about that later. It says apparently the showrunner has forgotten about the cast member who nearly brought the show to an early halt because of her feud with an A minus slash B plus list actress that all of you know. And that is referring to Terry Hatcher allegedly bullying Eva Longoria. 
And then we have another fantastic blind item about everyone here. It says, the cast of this successful ensemble TV show is falling apart completely. Star one and star two, which would be Terry Hatcher and either Felicity Huffman or Marsha Cross. So just to use their names, it would be Susan against Lynette or Brie. They both think that they are the biggest and most irreplaceable stars of the show, and they demanded pay raises that were disproportionate to the rest of their cast. Not only did the producers call their bluff, but they threatened to write out their characters if they didn't back down immediately. So as of today, Terry and, let's just say Marsha, aren't backing down. So the producers have ordered rewritten scripts, including one in which their character is killed off and the other one disappears. Terry is already in negotiations for a new job with a rival network, which has infuriated the producers even more. And Marsha is panicking because she doesn't have anything else lined up. To make matters worse, if those two go, then Eva Longoria, who didn't demand a raise, will likely be leaving because she's sure that the show will now flop. At least Eva has multiple projects already lined up to distract from some relationship issues. Star 4, Felicity Huffman, has nowhere else to go and she has been walking around with her eyes red from crying for a week. Star 5, Vanessa Williams, is smart enough to keep her mouth shut because this shakeout will likely result in her taking over as the main character, which is something the producers have planned all along. Now, there's a chance that Star 2, who was also being kind of a prima donna, that could have been Marsha Cross or Felicity Huffman. I'm going to say maybe Felicity Huffman because she, you know, she won that Oscar in, I think, 2006. She had been around more. Marsha, it seems like, from her blind items, which we'll be getting to, is just chill and sweet and cool. Um, but the idea of Vanessa Williams taking over as a main character, like, God, when she played Renee Perry, she just embodied a housewife so well. Now, Eva Longoria was recently on Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast, and he kind of asked her a little bit about some of the feud rumors. So he basically said, he was asking how much of the onset feuding was factual, and then how much, quote, we would see now as just like this narrative about women, that there's no way that these women could get along. And she denied rumors about feuding with her different co-stars. Here's what she said. She said, quote, they all had such a better handle on fame on that narrative. And I'm like, hey, guys, people say that we're fighting. And they're like, well, that's just a narrative that they do on women because we're over 40 on a TV show. And I was like, oh, yeah, I wasn't even that smart to understand that. And then she kind of said, like, oh, I even forgot about the feud. Like, I forgot that we were even fighting. I forgot that it was a big thing, blah, blah, blah. Mm, it was a big thing. It was huge. So the whole ensemble cast did this Vanity Fair cover shoot in 2005. And apparently, Marsha Cross and Eva Longoria threatened to walk off in the middle of the set if in their pose for like the cover of the magazine, Terry Hatcher was in the middle. They like refused to have her pose in the middle. But the really funny thing is that when the Vanity Fair cover came out, it was one of those covers that you have to like fold to open because it's actually two pages. And the way that it folded to like be turned into a magazine meant that even though Terry Hatcher was all the way on the left side of the photo, the way that it folded meant that she was like, bam, front center smack on that magazine cover. And Vanity Fair so leaned into it, like underneath that photo on the cover, they had this bright red text that said, you wouldn't believe what it took just to get this photo. And then they basically ran a story that spilled all of the tea and the messy shit that happened on set that day. So here's like an overview of what happened. ABC basically said each of the ladies, the actresses, the talent who is coming here, they need to have their own glam team. And then they also force Vanity Fair to only have seven hours scheduled for the shoot. So, 
you know, in those seven hours, you have to do styling, you have to set things up, you have to take individual shots, you have to do a group shot. Usually a good cover story or like a good shoot will take about two days. ABC also said at a Vanity Fair, like you are forbidden for making these women pose in bathing suits because they didn't want the show to look trashy. Okay. They also said Terry Hatcher, you cannot go to wardrobe first because apparently she had this, I don't know, like habit of in different photo shoots going to wardrobe first, taking the best outfit. And then like the girls would get pissed about that, which honestly I think is a little bit petty, but whatever. So the publicists were in on this and they tried to stop Terry from going to set first, but she did. And she took the best clothes. So the rest of the women were like, you know what? If she took the best clothes, then we're all going to wear bathing suits. So then Terry finds out that the other women are wearing bathing suits and then she got this like sexy red plunging neckline bathing suit to allegedly try to upstage them. But in my mind, it's like I, I didn't think that her bathing suit was like that much more sexy than the other ones. Anyway, whatever. Then they're doing the group shot. Apparently, Terry somehow manages to position herself in the center of the group shot. Marsha Cross sees that and she storms off the set and she yells at an ABC publicist, get your fucking ass over here now and do your fucking job. They had to pause the shoot. They had to rearrange everyone. People were only happy when Terry was like on the far, far side of the group, which honestly, like that's just kind of giving me and girl to me. Anyway, then Terry ends up having a meltdown. She cries. She yells at someone on her cell phone. They start doing the individual cast member shoots. Marsha Cross then refused to stand next to this like hedge that was shaped like Michelangelo's David with a penis. And she was like, I refuse to do it. Like I need to cut off his penis with the scissors. I insist on wearing lingerie and having the wind blow up my skirt so my panties are visible. It's just like absolutely insane. The entire photo shoot sounded like a catastrophe, but I kind of feel like Vanity Fair must have been loving it. Anyway, the whole fucking thing was a disaster. Kevin Brockton, he was the head of ABC Publicity. He was actually called away from his home to like drive quickly to the set and get thing in order, get things in order. And it was just like such a shit show that after the shoot the cast never did another group group photo shoot ever again and then in any photos or videos you'll see of them after this on the red carpet terry hatcher is never in the middle she's always on the side and it's always eva longoria who's next to her other kind of tidbits from that like messy vanity fair article they said that felicity huffman was viewed as the most down to earth that if eva longoria didn't like something she would just text the publicist instead of saying it out loud that The women's cluster of trailers on the set was called the hot zone because it was so tense. There were rumors that Marsha Cross was a lesbian because she was still single in her 40s. We'll be getting into that later. And then obviously that when the cover came out, Terry Hatcher was in the middle, front and center, which is just like so funny. There was definitely beef too. Like when the series ended in 2012, um, the three main girls from the show and Vanessa Williams, they wrote like thank you notes and thank you cards to the crew and they left uh, Terry Hatcher's signature off of the card, which is just, come on. And then Eva Longoria went on Jimmy Kimmel in 2018, which by the way, we did an entire Patreon episode about for an hour, why I think Jimmy Kimmel has bad vibes, but like there was stuff to back it up. Anyway, um, And he was like, well, are you friends with everyone? And she was like, oh, my God, like, there's no feud. This was messy, though, and I loved it. She went, there's no feud. You know, Felicity Huffman and Marsha are going to be at my star ceremony. Felicity's giving a speech. No, no, no. Like, we're very good friends. And then he goes, all of you? And she goes, 
No, but 99% of us are. I don't know. It's just, um, also none of the ladies follow Terry on Instagram. It's very obvious that there's beef between them. And I find it funny. I think that somebody's character on the show influences so much of how you think of them because this is the same exact situation of Sex and the City and Kim Cattrall with the other three girls. Did like a year and a half ago, we did a Sex and the City episode. And I feel like everybody takes Kim Cattrall's side in that because they love Samantha. And I feel like everybody goes against Terry Hatcher in this one because nobody likes Susan in Desperate Housewives. I see it in both ways. One part of me goes, well, if kind of everybody hates you, you might be the problem. You probably are. But then another part of me too goes, well, hey, Terry Hatcher coming in was like the biggest star. She was kind of the protagonist of the, I don't know, show. Other people like the cast and crew have said that she was great to work with. And the other ladies were like very diva. And also, I do just feel bad when someone is getting excluded. And, you know, Lucy Hale was saying recently, too, that she wasn't as close friends with the other three girls for Pretty Little Liars. And I hate to say this because, like, I, I want to be a good feminist. But in my experience throughout my life, I actually think what's worst is if you have a group of three friends, usually it ends up being two versus one. But a group of four friends having it be three versus one, I don't know. It, it just kind of seems like a theme for these different TV shows that we've covered, doesn't it? Anyway, we also have uh, the actress who played Juanita. She confirmed on a TikTok live, basically, that there was drama with Terry Hatcher. And this is someone who like worked on the show. She didn't really give any details. She just gave kind of a confirmation. Someone asked her if the behind-the-scenes drama with the ladies was real or if it was something made up by the media. And she kind of said something along the lines of, okay, it's been so many years that I guess it's fine to say, yeah, the drama was real. So yeah, we also have another person, Nicolette uh, Sheridan. She played Edie. She claimed that Terry Hatcher was, quote, the meanest woman in the world, which I feel like is kind of like insane. And she's messy herself. Um, and then when Felicity Huffman had her college admission scandal with her daughter, which we'll be talking about, Eva Longoria wrote a letter of support for her and claimed that she was repeatedly bullied on set by a coworker and that Felicity Huffman stood up for her. And a lot of people were saying... Were you bullied by T uh, Terry Hatcher? Was she the bully? So who knows? What, what has Terry Hatcher said about this? Um, somebody on like TV Guide, the source said that like something went down. There was a rift on set that Terry Hatcher would physically distance herself from all of the others during breaks in filming. And then she responded to TV Guide and said, quote, I will never disclose the true and complicated journey of us all, but I wish everyone on the show well. I wish her well, <laughs> to quote. Trump about Ghislaine Maxwell. I will say too, I think um, for all of these pieces of drama, right? Like whose side do I take Kim Cattrall or Sarah Jessica Parker? I don't know, but I think Sarah Jessica Parker has been classier in her response. And who am I going to take the side of here? The three ladies or Terry Hatcher? I will say Terry Hatcher's response, that quote to TV Guide, is the classiest one. I don't know. I just know that there's beef, but I don't know enough to say who's right and who's wrong. All right, so let's cover the individual ladies. Let's start with Eva Longoria. So she was born in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I actually, you know, I sucked it up and I listened to her on the Armchair uh, Expert podcast, and I thought she was really good. She was just like, 
very personable, very friendly. It was fun listening to her talk. So she was the youngest of four daughters. One of her sisters had special needs. Um, she was really plugged into that, doing whatever she could to help. She thought the whole family was really involved in that. She was raised Roman Catholic. When she was in high school, she worked at a Wendy's restaurant part-time for three years to help earn money for her quinceanera. She definitely didn't grow up in Nepo baby conditions like some of these other people that we're going to talk about. She got her Bachelor's of Science degree at Texas A&M in, um, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, kinesiology. It's the thing that you study where it's like the body and the muscles. I know that if you're going to get into massage therapy, you have to study this. Anyway, then she won the title of Miss Corpus Christi. She entered a talent contest, which led her to L.A. Then she ended up getting spotted and signed by an agent, and then she ended up basically getting into the game. What's interesting, too, is that she has publicly credited Jennifer Lopez as being a huge inspiration to her. We're going to more on that later in like five minutes. We're going to talk about J-Lo because she pops up in the blind items and they describe the two as like mortal enemies. But back in the day, she told the magazine people, um, you know, Jennifer broke down so many doors so that way we could walk through them. And she kicked those doors down and they were not easy doors to kick down. Like she spoke really, really high about her, highly about her. Um, And something interesting to look forward to, she is going to be producing a Spanish language adaptation of the TV series Call My Agent, and she's going to direct the first two episodes. If you haven't seen the show Call My Agent on Netflix, it's in French, so you have to have subtitles on, but it is a really good show. I loved watching that a couple years ago. Anyway, something else interesting, too, is that in 2008, she opened up this restaurant, Beso. And it was like this nightclub restaurant mix thing. They were actually going to have a TV reality series about it that was going to air in late 2010s, which kind of seems a little bit similar to Vanderpump Rules to me, but they ended up filing for bankruptcy and it no longer exists today. She also has a huge like pages and pages and pages of charitable work that she's done like literally anything that you could think of. She founded her own charity. She does charity. Like literally, if you're talking clothes, if you're talking peace, if you're talking missing children, St. Jude's Research Hospital, like absolutely every cause, she has done a huge amount for it. Her page of charity work goes on for miles. And so does her romance, okay? She was married to actor Tyler Christopher, the star of General Hospital, for two years. Then she met this, uh, I'm not going to read off anyone's name. She met an athlete. She was married to him. Then she was divorced. Then there was, like, somebody else. Let's see. One of her husbands, the athlete, was cheating on her. No surprise. However, it was messy because he was cheating on her with one of his teammates' wives. So both of them got broken up, and that was a whole situation. Um, Anyway, then she meets this man, Jose Antonio uh, Pantino. He was the president of Televisa at the time. Rich, rich man. Rich, rich Mexican businessman. And in 2015, she reported that she was engaged to him. So they were doing well, except until we get to the blind items. And then maybe they're not doing well. But they're still together today. Um, They had a child together. Okay, whatever. Let's get to the blind items, right? There was a blind item saying that she had split with her very rich husband. That obviously turned out not to be true. They're still together. There was a little bit of drama. She ended up being in this project called Flamin' Hot, the incredible true story of one man's rise from janitor to top executive, which is supposed to be a story about the man who invented Flamin' Hot Cheetos. But apparently they got the source wrong and like the man that they credited for inventing those Cheetos never actually invented them. 
Anyway, so she came under a lot of fire for that because she was making the movie based on, quote, real life events that she allegedly knew wasn't true, but she made the movie anyway. Back when she was dating um, Jose before they were married, there were so many different blind items about them being together and him cheating on her and her just being so tired of moving from one boyfriend to the next that she would put up with it because she was just like, I can't. Like, I'm just going to swallow my pride and, like, let you cheat on me. There was a blind item specifically about somebody saying that they saw her um, running through the hotel lobby with a phone, talking to him on the phone and kind of like openly crying and trying to find a quiet place to talk. And then we get into the J-Lo blinds. So this basically says here that this boyfriend of Eva Longoria, so Jose, back in like 2014 before they got married, has been texting and met up with this A-list diva who thinks of herself as a singer slash actress, which is Jennifer Lopez. And then we have a very, very long blind item about them here that I'll kind of summarize for you. So it says, looking at it from the outside, that you would think that Eva and J-Lo would get along really well, but they don't. They can't stand each other. This is really bitter hatred. I'm hard-pressed to think of two women in Hollywood that hate each other that much. It all started okay back in the day. Eva Longoria is a B-list actress, mostly TV, and she kind of keeps the B-list status because she's able to stay in the spotlight through paparazzi photos, but her famous role is now over. She hasn't really done anything since. J-Lo is an A-list celebrity. She might even be A+, but I don't like her, so I hesitate to give her that plus. Once again, I'm reading the blind item. Okay, blah, 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 blah. Up until a decade ago, Eva and J-Lo were friendly. They were good friends, not great, not hanging out at your house, great, but good friends. Eva is very good at finding people higher on the list than herself and inviting herself to their homes and events, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Then it says that one day, Jennifer Lopez confronted her then-husband, Mark Anthony, about Eva Longoria because apparently Eva and Mark Anthony had once had a little fling and Eva decided to let the world know by being like very affectionate with Mark Anthony in a way that people were like, oh my God, I think that they hooked up once. So apparently the public forgot about that quickly, but JLo never forgot about it. And she started doing everything that she could to allegedly sabotage projects that Eva Longoria was in. So if she got invited to any event, she would be like, oh, I'll come to your event, but you need to disinvite Eva Longoria or you need to give her like nosebleed seats, which then, you know, due to pride, she wouldn't show up to the event, blah, blah, blah. And then this blind item alleges that back when Eva Longoria was dating Jose, J-Lo went to an event in Mexico to promote her fashion line and hooked up with him and did the same quote unquote public affection display that Eva had done with Mark Anthony, if that makes sense. Apparently, there was some sort of selfie that they took together, and J-Lo took a selfie with Jose in the same position. So is that true? I don't know. But we have another blind item that once um, Jose cheated on her with Irina Sheik after she broke up with Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know. This is also kind of old tea. This is like 2014 tea. Um, and they're together now and married. But I would just imagine, I feel like when I was younger, I was like, oh, I love a rich man. I want to marry like the richest man in the world. And now I'm like, why would I do that to myself? That's nobody wants that job. That's pain. You're just asking to be cheated on. Like you're asking for a world of hurt if you marry one of like the, I don't know, 500 most richest men in the world. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Phylobiotics. If you are someone who has experience with acne, you obviously know it can be painful both physically and also emotionally. It just changes how you feel, whether you're looking at yourself in the mirror, whether you're feeling it on your skin. So if you've been having minor breakouts or you've been struggling with acne for years, you can check out Phylobiotics. They are effective, natural, and scientifically proven. So they basically target the root cause of acne, bad bacteria, without eliminating all of the good bacteria on your skin. They have this active ingredient, and it's a probiotic that is isolated from the skin of healthy, acne-free individuals. So this kills the bad acne-causing bacteria and then it leaves your skin's microbiome unharmed. So if you want to check out Phylobiotics, so many of my friends have used this and love it. It works very, very well. It's much more gentler than traditional treatments. You can get 25% off of your first order of Phyla with the code FORWARD25. So go to phylobiotics.com and type in the code FORWARD25 at checkout. Okay, let's get into Terry Hatcher, who played Susan. Like I said before, she was probably like the most popular person when the show started because she was in the James Bond film, Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, it seems like she grew up well. Her mom worked for Lockheed Martin and her father was like some sort of nuclear physicist and electrical engineer. She, this is trigger warning here for sexual abuse, but in 2006, she came out and she alleged that she was sexually abused from the age of five um, by this man named Richard Hayes Stone. He was an uncle by marriage who, you know, her aunt later on ended up divorcing him. She said that her parents were unaware of the abuse. But basically what happened is that he went on to abuse another female victim she ended up taking her life by suicide at age 14. So then Terry Hatcher came out and basically, um, uh, what's the word for it? Like gave her testimony like against him to put him into jail. And he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. And he ended up actually dying of colon cancer. So he only served six years of his sentence. But she wrote this very powerful um, open letter to Donald Trump. Remember when Brett Kavanaugh was like, Supreme, okay, whatever. I don't, I don't want to get into politics for this episode, but like there were sexual assault allegations against him and the woman, sorry, hold on. Let me click this link. I'm like forgetting everybody's name. Christine Ford. I think that was the woman. She made the accusation against Kavanaugh and everybody like Donald Trump was like such an asshole to her about it. Like, oh, you don't remember this. Like, you don't remember that. Like, you don't remember this about the incident, which happened like decades ago, basically decades ago. And anyone who knows anything will know that when you are recalling truly any memory, even if it's a happy memory, let alone like a traumatic memory or one filled with abuse or sexual abuse, you don't remember every detail. And even like, it just makes me so mad. I know that there's a name for it. There's a phenomenon where like, if, right, if you see somebody get hit by a car on the street and then the police go, hey, you are a witness, what color was the car that hit you on the street? Like half of the people will say red and then another half of the people will say blue. There's some sort of phenomenon for like how we don't remember certain details. And Terry Hatcher did this open letter and kind of this Instagram post where she said about what happened to her when she was abused. She said, here's what I remember. Like I remember his erect penis and that he was stroking as he sat behind the wheel of the car. I remember what he said. I remember how he like took my hand to touch it. I remember what I felt. I remember how he said, do you like how this feels? I remember how I said no. What I do not remember is the address of where it happened, how I got there, how I got home, what day or month it was, if anyone was drinking beer. 
And it's just so true. Like, you know, I've had my own as, as I, as I literally believe, unfortunately, every single woman on this planet has, like, we've all had instances with this. There are things that I remember about my instances. And then there's other things that I could not tell you, like the niche details about, because that's just how the fucking human brain works. Anyway, but Terry Hatcher did this. And then she also said, which was way more gracious than Donald Trump deserved. She ended it with here. She goes, Mr. President, I am a survivor who stands available to help you understand the way that memories of a trauma like that work. It might be hard for you to understand. I can readily explain in detail that, quote, I don't remember is often the most honest response surrounding questions of assault. It does not mean it didn't happen. Please do not add mocked by president to the injury list of a sexual survivor. It's just plain wrong. And that's such a... Uh, that's such a grace, a gracious thing to say. We're like, Donald Trump, like, I'm here to help you. I can, like, help you get inside of the head. Like, I know you probably don't understand how memories like this work. I'm like, I don't, I just think that he's being a dick. Like, I don't think that he's, I don't know, like, at a lack of understanding or whatever. But Jesus Christ. Anyway, now I'm pissed off. Anyway, but whatever. That was her open letter. And I think it was really, really brave of her to come out. And especially, too, to go through something like that at such a young age. Like, I just, um, and from a family member, like, I can't even imagine how hard that was. So I give a lot of props to her for every way that she handled that. So anyway, continuing on with her life here, um, she studied acting at the American Conservatory Theater. She also ended up, one of her early jobs, she was an NFL cheerleader with the San Francisco 49ers. And is it them or is it, what was the one that Dolly Parton wore the outfit of recently? But I feel like, I mean, all NFL, NFL cheerleaders are hot, but I feel like I hear things about like the 49ers being super hot. Anyway, continuing to her resume of being a super hot person, she was on this like iconic 1993 episode of Seinfeld where basically like Jerry Seinfeld is like, are her boobs natural or fake? And he kind of sends Elaine into a sauna naked with her to see if her breasts are natural or fake. Anyway, and it basically ends with her leaving the apartment because she found out and then she comes back and she delivers this iconic line where she says, by the way, they're real and they're spectacular. And for some reason, like every article I read this past week about Terry Hatcher, someone in the comments would be like, they're real and they're spectacular. People like really love that line. Anyway, she married a guy, they divorced. She married another guy, they had a kid, they divorced. Okay, let's do the blind items. There was one blind item here. She ended up being in the show Lewis and Clark, sorry, Lois. Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. And there was a blind item alleging that kind of similar to Desperate Housewives, she didn't want to be second fiddle. She wanted to be the lead. She thought she was a better actor. She should be the lead actor, which is interesting because she was in that with Dean Cain. Anyway, so then apparently she wanted to get paid more money. The network said no. So she left the show with really like no notice. And then it made people be like, hmm. With Desperate Housewives, she was kind of trying to pull the same stunt, but in Desperate Housewives, she had better leveraging power. Anyway, then there were some blind items about how she was friends with um, George H.W. Bush. And yeah, they like there's pictures of them going out for like a lunch date together, cozy, arm in arm, not like dating, like, you know, they said in the article, like, oh, and she's friends with his wife and blah, blah, blah. It's just so random. Susan from Desperate Housewives like goes and gets lunch with the former bush president anyway so she said that apparently like they've been friends for years which i just thought was so freaking random 
There were some blind items about how she's kind of running low on money because she's difficult to work with, so it's hard for her to get jobs and gigs, and that at one point she had a boyfriend uh, who was, quote, half her age, some guy half her age, and she was like paying for his life, and it was kind of draining her bank account. Another one about her trying to get her daughter to get work and allegedly, quote, hitting the casting couch hard to try and get her daughter to get work. And then, this is also kind of funny too, like I don't know how much of these blind items I believe, I could believe some of them about her, but a lot of these blind items do kind of follow similar plot points to Susan's arc in Desperate Housewives. So there was one person, a girl um, who was a former deal or no deal girl, and apparently she was doing some sort of like interview and she was telling the interview guy that at one point, there was this Saudi prince who offered to pay her like big bucks for a weekend long date. She said, quote, trust me, I was offered a lot of money. We're talking thousands of dollars a day. And she said that she refused, but one of the Desperate Housewives actresses may have taken her place in the palace. And she said, quote, I can't confirm it, but I heard that she took him up on his offer. Obviously, you know, like we talk about yachting, it happens. I could see, I, gotta, I could see Terry Hatcher doing it. I also could see anyone doing that. A few thousand bucks a day, are you kidding me? And then we have a messy blind item here basically saying that um, Terry Hatcher was at this like celebrity golf tournament talking to like a few celebrities and very openly to like a group of people. She said that she once had sex with Dennis Quaid. Apparently she said, quote, he used to fuck me so good. I didn't care that we were both cheating. And it happened like many, many years ago. But she told the story with an earshot of his wife, not the wife that he cheated on her with but his other wife. Anyway, so apparently her and Dennis Quaid had sex and he fucked her so good. All right, Marsha Cross, who played Brie. Brie has to be everyone's favorite housewife. She was just so, I don't know, she was so great. She kind of, did she give Blair Waldorf? Maybe, but I feel like she was a less, Blair Waldorf had this level of, um, okay, Blair Waldorf and Brie Vandekamp are both beautiful, classy, well-dressed, good at revenge, good at plotting, good at knowing the right thing to do and say and when to show up. But Blair Waldorf operates from like this center of deep insecurity and Brie Vandekamp does not. She's very secure. Do you know what I mean? I feel like Blair also too acts out of spontaneous emotion sometimes and Brie does not because her manners always get the best of her. Ooh, I love her. Okay, so Marsha Cross, the big thing about her is that she allegedly is gay, but let's get into her childhood. She was born in Massachusetts. She was raised Catholic. She got a half scholarship to Juilliard. She got a BFA in acting. She was the longtime companion of actor Richard Jordan. He's 25 years older than her. He ended up dying of a brain tumor in 1993. So in 2006, she married a stockbroker named Tom Mahoney. She did uh, in vitro after their wedding and gave birth to twin daughters in 2007 before her 45th birthday, which I always, I just love hearing about people in their 40s having kids because I go damn straight, add me to the list. She also has done a lot of good work speaking out about HPV. So in 2018, she revealed that she had been in remission for eight months after getting treatment for anal cancer. And she basically said months later that she did a bunch of online research and she said, um, 
that she found out that anal cancer patients are really embarrassed about their diagnosis. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to come forward and say, hi, like I had anal cancer and here's how you can get it. We need to be a little bit more forthcoming about the HP infection, HPV infection and what it can do. It can cause cancer of the anus, the cervix, the ovary, the penis, the throat. And she just wants to educate the public about that. Have you had HPV? I've had HPV. Mine went away, but it also couldn't have. What can I do to educate you? I don't know. I think you're supposed to get the Gardasil shots. Isn't that it? Three shots? I don't know. It's important to be educated and get tested about it, even though the test fucking sucks. They literally, when you get HPV, me and at least this was me and my friend's experience. I'm pretty sure it happens to everyone. They go in and they take a biopsy of your cervix without any pain or like pain medicine. Sorry, there is pain. And they do that to make sure like, is your HPV like the one that could lead to cancer or is it the one that goes away in a couple years? Like what type is it? Ugh, it sucks. But you know what? Go get tested because then you can say me and Fluently Ford both used to have HPV. Okay, so go get yourself tested because it's better to have your cervix snipped than to get cancer. And you could just take yourself out for a treat afterwards. That's what I do every time I go to the gyno. Okay, I kind of revealed most of her blind items, but let's talk about it anyway. There was one that was kind of raunchy, basically saying that within the last month, granted this was years ago, um, there allegedly is a sex tape that she had made a decade ago, so this would have been like the early 2000s, that was making the rounds. So that's something interesting. Anyway, but this blind item here and the other ones that I will read is kind of the main crux for her. It says, it has been a while since I have seen Marsha Cross uh, doing anything remotely public. It was kind of a shock that she chose this week to do it. The actress, who has been in the closet for decades, has several children with her girlfriend while being married to a man. We have another one from years ago. This married former B-list, mostly TV actress has stayed off the screen for the most part since her hit show ended. She is a very quiet person who tries to stay out of the limelight. This past weekend, though, she was alone and out of town and partied like she was 20 and even hooked up with a woman she met at a club. It's just so funny to imagine, like, Brie doing that. I just watched the episode where her and Vanessa Williams go out to the club. And, like, she is a classic Kibby type. Do you know what I mean? Looks good in J. Crew, not in Sheen. And then this last blind item here says this B minus list, mostly TV actress who was on a hit network ensemble show, blah, 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 looked so happy the other night when she was out of LA on the East Coast with her girlfriend. The married actress and her husband have an arrangement and completely understands and supports her, and she would never leave him. When he is out of town, is the only time that she feels safe to be out with her longtime lover. So it's very, I mean, she's even got red hair. It's got Evelyn Hugo written all over it. Evelyn and Cecilia, is that her name? I think um, the fact that she was, I mean, I I would assume that she's bearding with these men that she's with. Um, I don't know. I just get such good vibes every time I see Marsha Cross, like, post on social or I see her on an interview. um, And it makes me sad that allegedly she can't be out of the closet or doesn't want to be. But I also feel like she... I, I don't know, for some reason, I read these blinds about her, and just from what I see, I feel like she's happy with what's happening, and she has a situation that works for her. So I wish the best for Marsha Cross. Today's episode is brought to you by Modern Fertility, and I am so excited to be working with them, especially as a woman who is now 30. You start thinking about the future, you start thinking about fertility, you start wondering, why have I not been pregnant? Should I be getting pregnant? I could, honestly... I, 
I can feel myself spiraling already. But I think the most important thing is just knowing what's going on with our fertility because it's something not a lot of people talk about until you start trying to get pregnant and then it becomes basically your main focus. So that is why Modern Fertility was created. It is easy and an affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with just a simple finger prick. You mail it in with this prepaid label and you get personalized results within six business days. So you can see your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, and all these different other important factors that impact your fertility. So right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off of the test when you go to modernfertility.com fluently. That means your test will cost $159 and that is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. So you can get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fluently, modernfertility.com slash fluently. Felicity Huffman. Okay. She, her, she played Lynette. Lynette is probably who I am the most like. I wish I was Brie. I wish I looked like Abrielle. I am Susan and Lynette combined. (laughs) And her background and upbringing is very different from Eva Longoria's because she was born in Bedford, New York, into a very wealthy family. Um, You know, her dad was like a banker and a partner at Morgan Stanley. Her parents actually divorced when she was young, but she was raised by both of them. And then this is a little bit of drama. When she was a young teenager, she discovered that her biological father was actually this guy named Roger, who was a family friend. Ooh, that's like a TV show in itself. She then went to this private boarding high school. She then went to NYU. She then went to like the, literally the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, England. She's just rich, rich, rich. By God, she's rich. And then in 2005, she was in um, this movie, Transamerica, playing Brie. Huh, once again, the name Brie. A pre-op transgender woman who, on the brink of her transforming surgery, discovered that in her youth, she had fathered a son who was now this like troubled hustler on the run. So she ended up getting a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress. And then she was Lynette on Housewives for eight years. And she said that it really kind of messed with her perception. It was hard for her to get roles that were any character other than kind of like a similar Lynette character. And I will say, like, this show was on for so long. It's What's the name of that effect where, like, you see Daniel Radcliffe, you only think of Harry Potter. You see Elijah Wood, you only think of Frodo. I I do feel that way with all four of these women on Desperate Housewives because they were just on the show for so long. Anyway, she dated the actor William H. Macy uh, on and off for 15 years before they got married. They have two daughters together. That guy, William H. Macy, he is the lead of um, Shameless. And everyone keeps asking for a Shameless episode, which I should be doing because Jeremy Allen White is in it. And now he's like hot, hot, hot. The thing is, guys, I tried to watch Shameless I watched like six hours of it. It made me so sad. I was just like, when are these people going to get a break? Like it, like it really, I'm very sensitive. I like take in things around me very deeply. And I don't know how you guys, maybe, maybe it's like a a show that you can't binge. I can't even binge Always Sunny in Philadelphia because they're too bitchy to each other. It makes me sad. (laughs) But like, I don't know. I couldn't get through the first season of Shameless. I, I just kept thinking, come on, God damn. Can't like one good thing happen to one of them? It was just like ass ache after ass ache. It, it was really hard. Anyway, let me know if you still want the episode on it. Anyway, then she was one of the dozens that were charged by the U.S.'s uh, attorney's office in 2019 in this college entrance exam cheating scandal. So we all know about Lori Loughlin. 
Laughlin, whatever, and Olivia Jade and how they said, Olivia Jade, oh, she's going to be on the rowing team. And that's how she gets into college. But it was a scam and she really wasn't on the rowing team. Well, Felicity Huffman did something a little bit similar, but also a little bit differently. It was basically like a full out fat fucking lie about the SATs. Um, So she paid someone, I think it was $10,000, no, $15,000, that was it, to pose as her daughter to take the SATs and give her this like nice high SAT score. And she ended up being caught. She pled guilty. Uh, She was ordered to 14 days in jail. She was fined $30,000 and then ordered to do 250 hours of community service. She spoke out a little bit about it. Um, I thought what she said was honest and it kind of gives, it made me give her a little, little bit of a pass, at least compared to the Olivia Jade situation. She said, quote, people assume that I went into this looking for a way to cheat the system and make proverbial criminal deals in back alleys, but that wasn't the case. I worked with a highly recommended college counselor named Rick Singer. I worked with him for a year and I trusted him implicitly. He recommended programs and tutors and he was the expert. And after a year, he started to say, your daughter is not going to get into any of the colleges she wants to. So I believed him. When he slowly started to present the criminal scheme, it seemed like, and I know this seems crazy at the time, but it seemed like that was my only option to give my daughter a future. I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but I felt like I would be a bad mother if I didn't do it. So I did it. Anyway, this guy, Rick Singer, he ended up making more than $25 million from his clients. Uh, although it looks like he paid $7 million in bribes. So business expense. (laughs) Anyway, um, and his memo said like, there was this client call that was recorded by the FBI. And he said on it, quote, we help the wealthiest families in the US get their kids into school. They want guarantees. They want this thing done. And it's definitely, it's, it's, A hundred percent. It's so fucked up to do, especially considering that she grew up so rich and it's just like, your kid didn't need this. Like they don't, rich people are insane because they're so about like the name of the college. I don't even know, to be honest, I don't know if I would, if I had a kid, if I would send them to college. Like I personally got more out of my jobs and my internships than I, I'm so sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening, but I just think I don't know. I just, I hate things that are like all label and no substance. And more and more, it kind of seems like that's what colleges are turning into here in the States. I mean, come on. The price tag, the price tag is insane. But all of these rich people just want their kids to be in like the best Ivy. And that is worth spending, not even the tuition aside, the extra fraud money to get them in there, which is just crazy. But there were these comments on Reddit you know, that I kind of agreed with. They were basically saying, you know, it doesn't excuse Felicity's actions. She made mistakes, but she owned them publicly. She was remorseful. You know, she did do time in prison. You know, granted, it was only 14 days, but she accepted her punishment and she like spoke about it. But then when you look at Lori Laughlin and her husband, they were not remorseful. They had this attitude They fought it. They didn't understand why it was such a big deal. They acted like it was justified. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting, right? Like how often are you going to see two celebrities called out for this? And they did it very differently. There's a blind item. I won't know more until I maybe do a shameless episode. So I don't know if this is just a blind item written in because this is his character on the show. But there was a blind item basically saying that things are rough between Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy because his drinking is completely out of hand. 
There was a blind item saying that he was throwing his wife under the criminal bus for the uh, college case, or at least that's what the wife has been telling people, which is also interesting, right? Like, she did it, but how much did the father know as well? He must have known a little something. I'm sure they talked about it in bed. Not like, not like in bed during sex, but you know what I mean. You're reading, I just imagine them both like reading books in bed before they turn off the light and talking about, oh, this tutor said this, like, should we do it for our child? Like, I'm sure that they both knew. And then there was just like a kindness blind item about how the two of them with their family um, were flying commercial and people on the flight were asking them for photos and they were being very gracious and like taking photos with everyone who asked and they were very nice on a flight, blah, blah, blah. So um, I don't know. And allegedly at the Vanity Fair photo shoot, right, Felicity Huffman was the, quote, the most down to earth. But then she grew up so rich. I don't know. I'm excited this week. Hang out on Instagram. I'm excited to hear everyone's thoughts about these ladies. Okay, Nicolette Sheridan, she played Edie. She started her career as a fashion model, and her life was also a little bit dramatic. She was born in England. She was the daughter of this actress, Sally Adams, who gave birth to her when she was very young at age 16. Then, when she was less than a year old, her father left the family. Then her mom got featured in this James Bond film. She met this sexy actor named Telly Savalas, I think. And then he ended up kind of becoming her husband. The mom changed her last name. Then she ended up moving to the States. It's just like a little bit of an interesting story growing up that I feel like could be a good one-season HBO show. Now, she, Nicolette, actually auditioned for Brie Vandekamp. Uh, instead of Edie when the show first started. And I feel like literally no one other than Marsha Cross could play Brie, but I would be interested to see Nicolette's take on Brie. Now, I talked about this before, but Nicolette filed this $200 million lawsuit against Mark Cherry, right, the creator of Desperate Housewives. She said that she was assaulted by him on the set of the show and then fired when she reported her abuse to the network. So she claimed a bunch of things, wrongful termination, assault, um, battery, gender violence, discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation and age and emotional distress, et cetera, et cetera. It's a little bit back and forth. So basically, they ended up throwing out her claims of harassment. Um, Mark Cherry said that the alleged assault was like a tap to the head with his fingers during rehearsals when he was trying to demonstrate to her how she should play this like physical gag in a scene and then he also said that the decision to kill off her character was approved in may 2008 when allegedly the hitting incident was in september 2008 so um i don't know they also said she was unprofessional on set she was late all the time she wouldn't learn her lines she feuded with her co-stars we know that she definitely had feuds with the co-stars but that being said i'm like i don't know i if you really just tapped her on the head lightly There's no way that she would be, quote unquote, crazy enough to like turn that into an assault case. I don't know. I find her a little bit suspicious and I also find Mark Cherry a little bit suspicious. I'm just a little bit suspicious about everyone right now. But anyway, her romantic life, she 
tons of dating and marrying and it's all dramatic things too like there was this one guy this Australian guy named Simon Maine and she was with him for three years but then the relationship ended because he was sentenced to four years in prison for trafficking ecstasy the drug and then she started dating the Swedish personal trainer and then she was engaged to him on New Year's Eve but then she called off the engagement and there's like 18 different stories like that I feel like if she has a memoir out, it would it would be a juicy one. And once again, like her blind items, I just don't know if I, I mean, granted her romantic true life is very dramatic, but a lot of these blind items are just a little bit too on the nose of the character. So there was one that says, blah, 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 she got fired from a hit network show. She's hooking up with a very wealthy old man in hopes of marrying one before they die. Or that she was booted from the show and she is having trouble meeting men to support her. She has long been with famous men, but she now makes a living uh, with executives who have cash and a fantasy. And then there was a blind item here saying that she was doing lines of cocaine last night, which is going to ruin the effects of her Botox. And I can tell you for a fact, cocaine does not ruin the effects of your Botox. If anything, your Botox will wear off quickly if you exercise. So stop exercising and start putting some stuff up your nose. Anyway, but it does seem like there was another show. Allegedly, she was also fired off the show Dynasty. So she might be hard to work with. I will give you that. Today's episode is brought to you by Newly. I am so excited to have them on because they are a subscription clothing rental service and I love them. There is just something nowadays, every time I go to the mall, it's the most depressing experience ever. And anytime I get something in the mail, it lights me up so much. So it's a great way to just kind of combine those feelings. So you can pick every month your choice of any six styles. They have such a wide variety of options on there. They also have very inclusive sizing. It comes to you fast, free shipping, free returns, and I love how they have this, the option to buy anything that you like that you have been renting. And sometimes you can get it for up to 75% off. I have tons of stuff that I have bought from Newly. So Newly is a great value. They're at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off of your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FLUENTLY20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FLUENTLY20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That is N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FLUENTLY20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. James Denton, he played Mike on Desperate Housewives. And this is funny and random. He was in, a, uh, he played guitar for this charity cover band with uh, a bunch of like other, what's that, Hugh Laurie, that guy who's in house, Terry Hatcher and someone else. They were like randomly in a cover band. And he married this like personal trainer at Lifetime Fitness. They had a son, they had a daughter, they moved out of California over to Minnesota. There's just one blind item about him cheating on his wife with an actress and how she kicked him out of the house and they had some trouble over that. All right, and then lastly, Jesse Metcalf, he played, oh my God, who is that guy? Uh, the gardener, whatever, the, the, the guy that in season one Gabrielle was hooking up with. And there was a little bit of drama about this because Dumois allegedly posted a blind item that was kind of about him, right? So the title, you know how Dumois will be like, here's the title of my email, and then she'll post the subject line. That was it. The subject line said, the gardener is in the UK, which is kind of, oh, and the person writing the email 
called themselves John Tucker. So you think John Tucker, the movie he was in, you think The Gardener, the role he played in Desperate Housewives. You're like, okay, this is going to be about Jesse Metcalf. And the blind item said, my friend hooked up with the Z-list Hallmark actor on the weekend that is recently single. He could not stop talking about himself. There's also some drama with Hallmark, which is why they won't hire him anymore. So then the Instagram handle Reveal Moi, which kind of like talks about Dumois blind items, but like who they think it is, said, oh, this is probably about Jesse Metcalf. And then he jumped into the comments and wrote, quote, this is bullshit. And then Dumois wrote this kind of like snarky. I honestly kind of love how Dumois is just like, fuck it. I'll burn. If you want to set me on fire, I'll do it too. (laughs) She wrote back this snarky remark basically being like, I don't even watch the Hallmark channel. So I didn't know this was about you. I don't do blind items. I just like publish other people's. Anyway, and then she said, FYI, like here's a tip for future people. If you think an email is about you, don't publicly respond to it if you don't want to bring attention to yourself. So basically her being like, you're responsible for this. Anyway, I was surprised. I thought I was going to read more um, gay blind items about him, but there was just one saying that he works out in the Equinox gym in West uh, Hollywood and that he's into both women and men. So there wasn't really anything too juicy about him. So there you have it. That is the Desperate Housewives episode. It is a juicy show. I highly recommend. I love rewatching old shows when like the weather outside is frightful and there's nothing to do. This is a great one to rewatch. It holds up. It's so good. I love Brie. I love Renee. I love all the storylines. And it's interesting watching it back and knowing everything that I know, trying to be like, okay, can I pick up on any bad vibes between Terry Hatcher and anyone else? So please Let me know what you think about all of this. We will be posting a bunch of stuff about it on TikTok and Instagram this week. And I'm dying to know who was your favorite housewife? What do you think of the drama? If you had to pick a side, whose side would you pick? And do you think that Mark Cherry is suspicious? Or am I just like weirdly paranoid this episode for no reason? I don't know why. I'm just getting like weird vibes from him. And he didn't even really do anything. It's just a vibe thing. Anyway, thank you for listening. And I will see you either on Friday for a Patreon episode or next Monday for another episode of Fluently Forward. Bye, guys.